Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 149, Smoking. I acknowledge I am rather late tackling this topic on the podcast. And I think that's partly because it's something I sort of take for granted. Smoking, not good for your health, not good for the health of your baby, not good for your own health, and something we should be, as health professionals, discouraging. I know that. You know that. But what are we actually going to do about it? The reason I've decided to focus on this this week is because I was browsing through the Saving Babies Lives Care Bundle, the third version of which was recently released. And it struck me that one of the single most important things we could do as part of the Saving Babies Lives Care Bundle is talk to women about smoking, smoking during pregnancy and also exposure to smoke during pregnancy. That is when the woman doesn't smoke but perhaps other family members do within the same environment. So I delved into Saving Babies' Lives and clicked on one of the links. And the link I chose to explore was the NCST, that is National Centre for Smoking Cessation and Training. And the training module online called Very Brief Advice on Smoking for Pregnant Women, or VBA, because obviously we have to give it a lovely anacronym or abbreviation. And I'm putting a link to this online training in the show notes. And I'm going to try and summarise some of the things that I learned doing the training in case you haven't got a lot of time. Some people have said to me, oh, Florence, the podcast is great because I haven't got time to go and look up all the things you're discussing, but you can just give me some bite-sized pieces of information. So I'm going to try and summarise what I learned. But if you do have time, I would encourage you to explore it and delve into it yourself because you're bound to learn things that perhaps I'm not going to pick up on. I would say that my mistake, because I'm a skim reader, is that when I skimmed it and saw very brief advice, my mind immediately went to, oh, this is very brief training. It'll take me a very short time and I can do it and then, oh, I'm going to be equipped. 
It's not very brief training. It is fairly brief training. But I must admit, on the day I started it, I realised I didn't actually have time to complete it. That There was a lot more valuable stuff there, including videos and little scenarios. And so I had to come back to it on a different day. So just to warn you, it's very brief advice on how we might get that advice into our appointments. But it's not very brief five minute training. It needs a little bit longer, but you could probably knock it off in an hour or so. Okay, let's have a think. What did I learn? Well, I discovered that I'm shamefully ignorant. So I did know that we measure smoking at the time of delivery or S-A-T-O-D. But I must admit that I couldn't possibly have told you how many women actually are smoking at the time of delivery. And it turns out in the latest statistics, which is 2021 to 22, 9.1% of women are smoking at the time of delivery. And I hadn't realised that it was that number because that number to me seems quite high. That's nearly 10% of pregnant women are smoking at the time of delivery. It was heartening to see that there has actually been a steady decline year on year, but there is big variation. And one of the reasons why I probably think that smoking at the time of delivery or smoking at the time of birth probably would be better named is much lower is because actually in London it is much lower. So wherein I work, roughly one in 20 women will be smoking at the time of birth, whereas in the East Midlands and North East England, where smoking rates are highest, it could be as high as one in five or 20%. So it's not surprising that I think that this is a rare issue. But even within my geographical location, I discovered that there's a large inequality in age with young women less than 20 years old being six times more likely to smoke than the over 35s. Again, my population is quite skewed. Where I work, a lot of women are older. But also, very big inequality depending on your job. So if you have a manual occupation, you're five times more likely to smoke than those in managerial or professional roles. So without even delving into anything I might say or do with a pregnant woman in front of me, I learned a lot about the context of the problem and what I need to think about when I'm seeing women in clinic. I also learned that there is an NHS aim to have less than 6% of women smoking at the time of delivery And this is currently met by only eight of the different then CCGs. So now ICBs, they would be, i.e. regional health areas. Only eight up and down the country meet this target. And actually London is the place where this target is being met. So no wonder it's not quite on my radar So I'm fortunate there are lower numbers of women 
smoking. However, that does not mean that I cannot make a difference to those women when I see them. And I do see them. Other things I learnt, apologies if this is all blindingly obvious to you, but other things I learnt is if you quit early in pregnancy, at less than 15 weeks, then your risk of preterm birth and a low birth weight baby cuts to that of a non-smoker. So booking midwives that are seeing women between eight or 10 weeks of pregnancy, ideally, I appreciate that's not always the case, but if you're booking a woman in the first trimester, if you can help her in those next few weeks, quit smoking before she's 15 weeks pregnant, you have brought her outcomes back to that of a non-smoker. That's incredible. And the thing I really, really took home from the videos is actually that this is the single most important thing you can do to improve the health of your baby. And I don't think I've ever expressed it to a woman like that. The single most important thing you can do to improve the health of your baby. It's very simple messaging. So what is VBA? Very brief advice. It boils down to ask, advise and act. So the ask is asking women about smoking and also carbon monoxide testing. So many of you who are practicing in midwifery or who are pregnant will know that we're measuring carbon monoxide at booking and at 36 weeks and we're asking a woman to blow into a carbon monoxide monitor and there's a great little video of demonstration in the training of how to do this properly and what we need to think about is a level below four parts per meter so if it's below four parts per meter that's okay if it's higher than four parts per meter either the woman is smoking or she's exposed to a smoking environment or we need to look at the safety of her boiler and and suggest she gets her boiler serviced Taking a carbon monoxide reading is really important. And the other thing I learned from the training is that the carbon monoxide reading can fall very quickly if they change their behaviour. So even within 24 hours of not smoking, the carbon monoxide level can be lower. And if someone's carbon monoxide level is low, but they are smoking you can use that as a positive reinforcement, asking them when they had their last cigarette and if it's some time ago, explaining how rapidly it drops and therefore the improvement they could find if they stop smoking. One of the things I really liked about the training was kind of myth-busting. And I've always found it difficult to have conversations with women about smoking because it always feels a little bit head teacherish. Are you still smoking? Yes. And then the woman starts to tell you she's cut down because she wants to please us. And she may have actually cut down, of course, but also she really wants to tell us that she's trying and doing the best she can. She doesn't want to feel like she's 
failing or putting her baby at risk and she may be feeling we're judging her. And we need to acknowledge that actually it's incredibly difficult to stop smoking because it is addictive. So women frequently tell me they're cutting down and whilst that is excellent that they're making some efforts to reduce smoking, what I learned is actually there's something called compensatory smoking, which means that a woman will reduce the number of cigarettes but becomes more efficient at smoking with more drags per cigarette, perhaps deeper inhalation, holding the smoke in her lungs longer. And this is her body unconsciously making changes to try and get the same dose of nicotine and the same dose of carbon monoxide as before. So she may not even realise that she's unconsciously compensatory smoking. And I didn't know about this before. So when a woman tells me she's cutting down, actually, I still need to reinforce the fact that quitting and stopping altogether would be considerably better for her health. It's important to refer to a smoking cessation service and also to discuss nicotine replacement therapy because there's evidence that women are much more likely to stop smoking if they have these two things in place. So carbon monoxide testing, opt-out referral doubles the number of women that quit. And... Smoking cessation and support and nicotine replacement therapy and asking her what has she been provided with? Has she been provided with patches? Has she considered vaping as an alternative? Has she been given nicotine gum? What are the strategies and things that we can help her with? Because it isn't easy. And it's really important when women are struggling or perhaps relapse and start smoking again, having tried to give up, that we're still encouraging them and we're still alongside them and we're still explaining to them that it could be beneficial. Because they will relapse. It's it's difficult. Life gets in the way. And I definitely see this with a lot of women that I see who perhaps have quite complex social histories or mental health problems or a lot going on with their physical health and stopping smoking is just yet another thing that is just overwhelming and in the kind of too difficult pile. So when a woman starts smoking again having stopped delving into what went wrong, what nicotine replacement was she offered and how did it work And if she doesn't want to use a local service, does she know there are apps? I mean, I'm an idiot. Of course there are apps to stop smoking because there are apps for absolutely everything in life. But it never occurred to me that if I had a woman who didn't want to go to the stop smoking service and talk to somebody, that I could say to her, do you know what? There's an app. You can just put it on your phone and give that a go. And at least then you've got some support. So I'm putting a link, there's a couple of apps, the NHS Quit Smoking app, the Smoke Free app. So there's a number of apps. 
I also discovered that switching to vaping is 95% less harmful. 95%. That's massive. So I'm sure if you did the training, you would probably come up with some other points that educated you. Going back to the very brief advice, it's ask. So ask at every appointment. Ask not only about the woman smoking, but what about her partner or perhaps she's living with an extended family that smoke. Ask her about testing for carbon monoxide. Does she understand why we're testing for carbon monoxide? And that actually carbon monoxide is a poisonous gas that can affect the growth and development of her baby. Then we need to advise that actually there is support available, that if she quits, she can dramatically reduce the risk of all sorts of complications for her and her baby. We know there's a link with preterm birth, so the baby being born prematurely, low birth weight, stillbirth, and then after the baby's born, cot death. We also know for women that they're more prone to get chest infections if they're smokers and their lungs are restricted. And they also have a higher risk of blood clots, venous thromboembolism. So for both mother and baby, it's very beneficial to stop smoking in pregnancy, let alone the long-term health benefits for her future health and well-being and that of her children. So we've done the ask and the testing. We've done advice explaining why it's so important to stop and then act that there is support available and that support has been demonstrated to make a difference and that we can offer nicotine replacement therapy and that we understand it's really hard and we're there not to judge her or tell her off but really to try and help her in her attempts to kick what is an incredibly difficult habit. If the carbon monoxide level is above four parts per metre, making sure that she understands what she needs to do, explaining just what I said, that this is the single most important thing she can do to improve the health of her baby. Every woman wants to improve the health of their baby. Every woman is thinking about what she eats, what she drinks, how she looks after herself the minute she gets pregnant or is aware of pregnancy. So we're used to women making changes. Stopping eating soft cheese, for example, might be another thing. Smoking is no different. It's another change that we might ask or suggest a woman would make during pregnancy. And we need to stop being frightened about talking to women. I think, like I said, I've sort of shied away from just how high risk smoking can make a pregnancy. We don't spell it out. And 
I don't want to frighten women and scare women when they've got a very difficult habit that is extremely tough to try and stop. But at the same time, I have never thought about it being the single most important thing they can do. And I've never spelt it out in that way. And I've never explained that if she quits, that could rapidly go back to being the same level as a non-smoker. So I think I've learned quite a lot about how to talk to people. So zesty bit. If you're a health professional listening to this and you've got a spare moment, go and look at that very brief advice training. It is very valuable and I'm sure you will pick out things that I haven't picked out. Think about what are the smoking rates in your area or with the women you care for in your antenatal clinic. And my other take-home message is, as a midwife or health professional, don't forget about the other people in the household. It's incredibly difficult for that woman to stop smoking. She may have stopped smoking, but she may still be exposed to smoke. And there's a lot of discussion about what we call a smoke-free pregnancy. And that's what we're actually aiming to achieve, if at all possible, for as many women as possible. And for everybody listening, I'm just going to have to leave you with that statement that quitting smoking is the single most important thing you can do to improve the health of your baby. That's whether you're a mother smoking, a partner smoking, other people smoking in the house around you. That is the message. That is what we need people to understand and that is our responsibility as health professionals to try and convey to families. And I hope I've helped you a little bit with that journey, that message. I very much hope you found this episode of the OBSPOD interesting. If you have, it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts, as well as recommending the OBSPOD to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue, from clinical topics, my career and journey as an obstetrician, and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any patient identifiable information unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at the OBSPOD on Twitter and Instagram 
and you can email me theobspod at gmail.com. Finally, it's very important to me to keep the Obspod free and accessible to as many people as possible. But it does cost me a very small amount to keep it going and keep it live on the internet. So if you've enjoyed my episodes and by chance you do have a tiny bit to spare, you can now contribute to keep the podcast going and keep it free via my link to buy me a coffee. Don't feel under any obligation, but if you'd like to contribute, you now can. Thank you for listening.